Welcome to the Smart Tech Check Podcast, hosted by Mark Vina, your home for candid, insightful, and provocative conversations about the smart home, home automation, security, smartphones, PC and console gaming, and much more. Hello, everyone. My name is Mark Vina, host of the Smart Tech Check Podcast. Today is Friday, February 10th, 2023. Joining me for today's podcast are Stuart Walpin, who scribes for Popular Mechanics, AARP, Techlicious, Investopedia, and other wonderful publications. Rob Pegarero, who writes about tech developments at PC Mag, Fast Company, and other fine publications too. And uh, John Quain, who writes for the New York Times, Smart Cities, and Tom's Guide had another commitment. I think he's getting his GED. I'm sure he'll watch the podcast. He's on not assignment. <laughs> very, very, very funny. So, guys, how are you doing? Good. Oh, I'm pitchers and catchers in what five days? I know. Yeah, you know. You know. You know. It's funny you say that because it happens to me every time after the Super Bowl is over. You know, especially if the Giants are in it, which hasn't happened in a long time. But when that's over, I go into a bit of a post, you know, NFL season funk because i'm not a i'm not a huge basketball player uh player a huge basketball <laughs> fan i'm certainly not a basketball player You're a guest i'm not i'm not a, a hockey guy and it's that dead period in from mid-february until really you know opening day you mm-hmm. know and because i my, i love you, you the three of us have talked about this before i love, i'm actually more passionate about baseball than i am about football but football is wonderful because you can plan it and it's only once a week and that kind of thing but do you Stuart? i'll start with you do you suffer from that uh Oh, I, I suffer from depression all winter long. I'm not a huge I follow it because I'm a male who lives in America, so I'm I, I'm I'm sort of obligated to follow football. Um, and I certainly watched Le, LeBron James the other night, only because again I'm a male who lives in America. Um, but this year is the World Baseball Classic, so there will yeah. be some actual yeah. interesting, really interesting games coming up instead of the normal spring training folder all. So I'm actually looking forward to the world baseball classic. I always find that a really interesting global competition. That should be a lot of fun. What about you, Rob? Do you get into that little funk that I talked about? Well, so being in DC, uh, that's had be pretty much checked out of the NFL for a while because we have an owner so bad that other NFL owners are like, you're kind of gross. What kind of (laughs) person got to be for the NFL (laughs) ruling class to be like, can you get out of here, please? <laughs> so, so yeah, it's kind of uh, an idle time for me. And, and yeah, like, but yeah, soon it will be actually, it's pretty warm outside right now. Um, yeah. Opening day at Nats park will be great. Uh, by the way, before we jump into the topics, if you get a chance, because both of you guys will enjoy this, there's a, I think it's on the history channel. There's a wonderful, um, a 60 minute, I think it's 60 minutes, uh, sh- uh, show with Peyton Manning about the most iconic stadiums, um, and the stories behind the stadiums, you know, starting with the, the Astrodome, the Superdome and the stories behind it and some of the more memorable moments. What did they pick for RFK? I don't think RFK was on the list. <laughs> I don't think Shea Stadium was on the list. I don't think R- RFK was on the list, you know. Or the well, maybe the Polo Grounds actually should be on the list. RFK Polo Grounds and more peeling lead paint. <laughs> you know there was an author that described the polo grounds because my father became a yankee fan when when i was born you know i became a yankee fan he was a new york giants fan football new york baseball giants and 
uh, he said when you went to the polo grounds, because the Giants were kind of a slap happy team, you know, they, and, you know, and America's the most lovable team during that era, the 40s, 50s, and, and the 50s was obviously the Brooklyn Dodgers for a whole bunch of different reasons. But he said when you would go to the polo grounds, because it was a weird, you know, that horseshoe shape, you could smell the, 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 the crumpled cigars, the hot, you know, hot dogs that, you know, mustard, dry mustard that was probably would have been rotting for like 10 years, but it was not a great place to see a game. You know, the, the first date that my father took my mother on was to the polo grounds. Oh my God. Nice. Unbelievable. Yes. Well, let's not talk about baseball forever because we could, but let's talk about our first topic here. Um, Stuart, this is a topic that I think is real important. Um, the smart, uh, the salad days of the smart market, uh, smartphone market, are, um, I think, are becoming pretty apparent. Uh, the, uh, the fourth quarter was down um, about eighteen percent. You know, year over year, down eleven percent. And I think the big question is, you know, honestly, is you know, is the market now finally becoming a commodity market? I and mean, people have been talking about this forever. And I'll just say this in the context of, if you talk to Samsung, which I have, by the way. And if you talk to Apple, which I haven't had that conversation yet because they haven't announced or they won't announce their, their new 15 until uh, the September time frame, they don't believe it is. Now, of course, you would expect them to say that, but you look at Samsung and what they announced a couple of weeks ago with their new um, Galaxy phones. I mean, they're still hell bent as Apple is on replacing cameras and the functionality at the, at the high end. And again, that doesn't appeal to 100% of the, the smartphone uh, market. Those are premium product, uh, products. There's rumors now that Apple's going to have some type of ultra, you know, model uh, later this year, which probably will be a <laughs> the way Apple operates will probably be a four thousand dollar phone. But <laughs> the, the, but the technology in these phones at the high end, if you're a videographer or a photographer, are beyond belief. You know, this whole computational photography thing. So I guess the question is that enough from keeping that market from morphing into a commodity market. So I'll let you jump into that, Stuart. I think it's already lapsed into commodity status. And I think one clue of that is that there are now, you're starting to see reports on the number of used phones um, being sold in the market. And they're talking about a half a million used phones being sold worldwide in the next few years. So the fact that the used market has become a measurable, a large measurable percentage of the market tells you that this is becoming a use that is becoming a commodity market <clears throat> the large number of budget phones motorola had probably the best worst year of all the major vendors other than apple perhaps their uh, annual sales only dropped about one percent <clears throat> where the rest of the industry fell more than 10 percent primarily because they've really gone full frame into sub $300 phones with 6.6 inch screens. So the fact that you're seeing this plethora of, of low price, big screen phones in the market, which is really how, you know, judging books by its cover, that's how people look at phones. Samsung at the Galaxy event, they spent almost a half an hour just on the camera. Yes, yes. The camera market, ain't that big so people are not buying phones because they're getting a slightly better camera um the kind that that you know that filmmakers might use which is what samsung spent most of their time no, no. Filmmaker, but filmmakers are using them now ridley scott yes, they're not a buying a billion phones <laughs> yes you know the biggest mar cell phone markets in the world are china in which apple is making is le been leading the market the last few quarters 
and India, which just now started rolling out 5G networks. Those right. are the two biggest markets. These are not, and, and India has well known as a budget market. So the fact that Sam, and, and quite frankly, Samsung's uh, um, top line phones, if they sell 20 million units of, of, of the uh, S23, that will be a good number for them. But it's not enough to tip the scales of the 1.2 billion phones that are being sold, right. most of which are low end. So I think the. Um, the numbers that they took in Q4 this year, 18% uh, year-over-year sales were down, is probably an anomaly, but it also probably indicates a a less than optimistic trend, shall we say, going forward. There simply isn't any killer app or technology in the phone. Right. I don't know that AR or VR will do it. I don't know that foldables, until they get thinner and much cheaper, um, will make an impact on the market. <clears throat> and so until you get quantum computing and 6G or some other kind of function exactly. that really pulls the phone up to, you know, gives it something new to do, it, I, it, it like tablets, I think the smartphone has become a commodity market. If the market goes up this year at all, it'll be low single digits, and I doubt it'll even do that well. Well, but, but Rob, I want Rob, because you said something uh, very interesting, and I want Rob to comment on this. I do personally believe that I don't, AR, VR, who knows whether what effect that's going to have on the smartphone market, because there are going to be different approaches to how you implement that into an ecosystem for some type of AR, VR play. But the industrial design piece and foldable phones, which, by the way, Samsung has jumped into that market. It has not been a huge deal for them, but give them credit for at least. You know, well, they're a big market leader. They they've yeah, sold, they've sold right. about eighty percent of big them. Most the other models are all in China. They're not here yeah. really. No, the I got no, I got that. The, the 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 question I have for Rob though is Apple, who you know, let's face it, Apple sets the bar. You know, when Apple does something, it tends to legitimize the market. You know, others come in. Apple has waited uh, now. I mean, foldable phones have been out there for a couple of years, so it's not like it's a new a deal. Now, of course, when Apple does it, they'll uh, they'll announce it like it's a brand that they're bringing foldable technology to the market for the first time. But it will become more mature, you know, from a, a, a technology standpoint. You won't see the crease, so it'll be a lot more minimal than um, than the early versions of the Samsung um, uh, phones that had that capability. I personally believe that could be a big deal. Because there's a, I mean, let's face it, from a usage model standpoint, which Apple will nail. I mean, they will have a couple usage models with an IO, <coughs> a version of iOS that will complement this, that will allow you to enable something with with a foldable design that Samsung really, you know, they had the same thing has pitched some usage models within Android that you can do, which you're kind of finding interesting. But what do you think about that, Rob? Do you think Apple does have that momentum to really, you know, turn that into a thing? I don't know. I mean. We're talking here about the quality of a foldable phone, but it's also the cost, what Stuart was talking yes. about. Like Apple already has a cost problem. And yeah, they're they're doing fine in their upper end of the market. But yeah, when you know OnePlus just introduced the, their latest phone for like six ninety nine, and that's actually like that used to be a high end price. Now that's more, you know, mid to mid high end of the market. Mm -hmm. uh, the issue is I think this whole smartphone market is getting more like laptops in the sense that, you know, as long as you're getting software updates and it hasn't broken, the odds of you breaking the device are higher. And 
So I think it, it still means a replacement cycle more frequent than with laptops. But all the more reason why it's okay for a technology gadget category to reach maturity. And, you know, you don't need to be that guy who's online at the Apple store on new iPhone day every year. Right. Right. And Android, by the way, has a lot of the vendors are now stretching out the security and OS updates capability Finally. used to be two or three years. Now it's going up to three to four years on, on a lot of models. So even the vendors are beginning to realize that people are holding onto their phones longer and are shying away from phones that won't let you update them for a longer period of time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And well, fundamentally, looks like I've been trying out the Pixel 7 phone. It's nice. Mm -hmm. The camera is definitely better than what's on my Pixel 5a. But it's not that much nicer that I would want to replace the phone I only bought in like December of 2021 right. with this new $700, $800, depending what version I buy. No, that, that, that expense doesn't make sense to well, me at all. That, that's the challenge that both Apple and Samsung has is that the phone capability is so good. Even, even if you back up, like using Apple as an example, you go back to a 13 or a 12 it's still pretty damn good. And yeah, you know, we, we talked about that when, when the 14 came out, maybe you should look at the 13 or the 12. That could be the better deal. Yes. Yes. And by the way, if we go into a recession later, later this year, or even if we don't go into a recession, people are still concerned about, um, you know, putting food on the table. So going out and dropping $1,500 on a phone is a very considered um, purchase. You know, it's the very definition, the very definition of a considered purchase. So going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. Um, I just found the Samsung announcement incredibly interesting because I am a videographer myself and I'm just, I, I just think hell bent they're hell bent on replacing, not just say, Hey, this is a great device to have in addition to a high end DSLR camera for professional video production, but they're absolutely at I mean, you heard Ridley Scott's, I think it was Ridley Scott who said it during that, uh, that interview where what I love about the, you know, what's so funny was when they were showing kind of the equipment, the behind the scenes equipment, they had all this, all the gear was designed just to hold this really small piece of glass. <laughs> uh, and, you know, there was a couple of shots they showed. There was one director, I forget what his name was, who showed a shot. I, I couldn't get this shot. Korean director. That, that, that I couldn't get with a conventional um, uh, uh, DSLR. So it's just, it's interesting. It's just very interesting. Let us bring up the next topic, huh? And that is, um, this is going to be a hot one. Um are tech companies trying to, how are the uh, tech companies trying to reduce their dependency on China? You know, and uh, you know, uh, this whole China balloon incident, <laughs> you could talk about that forever. I certainly don't. I think if anything, that kind of accelerated, um, you know, what if you make surveillance balloon equipment though, then you, then you, that China's a growth market. You <laughs> want to be all in on that. Well, well, you know what I was afraid of, you know, they made that, that reveal yesterday that some of the parts had, um, English markings on it. I hope they don't have any made in Cupertino parts. That's <laughs> all we need right now. That Apple was somehow playing a role, but that's a completely different uh, discussion. But yeah, the the that last iPhone reveal where they were bragging, this camera works at seventy thousand feet. I don't know why they made a point of talking about that. What's the use case? You know, you know, I, I just I, found out Gary Powers is rolling over in his. Oh room. yeah, Gary Powers. <laughs> I, you know, did he spend three years in the gulag? They didn't. Just, he just didn't come back. They put him on a show trial. Oh yeah, And for those of you young enough not to know who Gary Powers is, look him up. Yes, yes, absolutely. See, that's how old we are. Is we know um, we know who Gary Powers. Gary Powers is played by Lee Majors in a very popular movie, mm. if I recall, about yep. uh, thirty years ago. Anyway, but what's your take on that, Rob? I mean, do you really, do you think, 
I, I mean, I, I have think to it's got to be like a strategic imperative for companies. I mean, has Apple is the most exposed because for years they've had the problem. Where else are you going to build iPhones in that quantity? Well, they're now having them built in India, which makes sense anyways, because as we said, there is a growth market. 5G is getting turned on. It's a rapidly growing economy. That's where the money is. They're right to go that way. And the other half of it, of course, is, you know, the U.S. has gone so heavily into industrial policy instead of saying, the market will figure it out. Well, it will in the long term. <laughs> Short term, lots of people might have their jobs go poof. So that that's encouraging a lot of capital to move in different places than it might have moved if people were just thinking, what's great for the next quarter? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see all the factories to build like chips, batteries for EVs going up around the U.S., that was a big theme at, at CES. Everyone's like, here's our here's our giant battery factory. Here's ours. So, yeah. And the Chinese government, they... It's really interesting the way that... It's I okay. I, I, I'm thinking, not sure let's send a bunch of gigantic balloons that people could see on the ground. <laughs> no one will notice them. People won't bother looking up because they'll be looking at their phones. Right. Yeah, <laughs> so that's, 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 that's why really we have TikTok. out of this. To, to shift shift away attention from looking in the sky and looking yeah. for um, surveillance, we surveillance weather balloons. Um, yes. But you know what the in interesting thing is, Stuart, is that supply chains, you know, it's easy to say that, type it up in an article or talk about it with somebody. As someone who worked at a number of very large um, tech companies, putting a supply chain place and uh, a supply plan capability in place, especially when you're building smartphones or PCs or other devices where there's a lot of sub-assembly uh, uh, um, suppliers and it's very intricate. It takes years to do that. You know, I mean, people talk about how, how long it takes to build a fab, you know, for those people who are not in the tech space, you don't build a fab overnight. It, it takes two to three years, you know, and the same could be said about supply chains. It's, you just don't wake up in the morning. Tim Cook doesn't make a call and says, okay, we're going to start building phones in India, you know, because you got to transition, you can't do it. It's not a light switch. You just can't flip it over. There's all kinds of issues associated with that. And then you add on top of that is that I think what's freaking out uh, the tech companies and, uh, and Washington is that if a China invasion of Taiwan does happen, I th it's not going to be a, uh, a Putin-style invasion of Ukraine, meaning, you know, you, you know right now um, – uh, Sherman is uh, uh, William Tecumseh Sherman is probably uh, tipping his hat to Putin because he's obviously he doesn't mind taking uh, burning Ukraine into the into the ground. I mean, he has absolutely no respect for human life and buildings and infrastructure. You won't see China do that because I think China they want those factories intact. They they want the technology that's in those factories. So it's 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 not an apples to apples comparison. So what are your thoughts? Well, it's funny that the best worst thing to happen, at least to Apple, is that the local laws in India, Modi put the law in that if you're going to sell products in our country, you have to make them in our country. And this posed quite the challenge to almost every company. But as it turns out with what happened in China over the COVID period, it, and now with all the geopolitical stuff that's going on between China and Taiwan and, and the weather balloons, is that Apple and many other companies have already begun the process of transferring manufacturing to India. Um, Apple, I think, is projected to, to export 27% of the phones they make 
in, by like 2025 from India because they've already been building this up for the last four or five years already. You would think normally it's a seven to 10 year process to really transfer that full supply chain. But Apple has got a, a running start because India essentially forced them to the way that it forced Xiaomi, who's having all sorts of problems in India, and almost every other tech supplier, uh, tech company who wants to do business in India. So India is already beginning. Westron, Fox, Foxconn already have huge facilities built and operating. The other um, um, place that you're seeing is Vietnam. Again, Vietnam was very aggressive in going after these companies. Again, even before the whole Chinese, most iPads, for instance, are made in Vietnam. And most a lot of Samsung phones are made in Vietnam. So the process actually started for all of these companies several years before the COVID thing hit. Now that simply has accelerated. And so it, it, it will take, I wouldn't say much less time, but it is, a sh- it is a narrower window than it would have been if those companies suddenly woke up yesterday and said, we got to do something about this. Right. They're well, better I mean, positioned now than they would have been if Modi hadn't forced them to build stuff in India. Right. Well, I, I think right now, and I, Rob, you can close us on this topic. I, I just think right now that um, given that, as silly as this, and, and by the way, I don't believe the balloon um, incident was silly. I mean, it's silly that it's a balloon, but at the end of the day, I, I mean, I, I don't think it was a good thing, <laughs> you know, and, there's, and, 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 and it's been politicized, which also doesn't make it a good thing. But my fear is, is that, you know, as kind of, the Biden administration tries to work through this and, 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 you know, for, I think some good reasons trying to salvage the relationship with China. I mean, they have, you know, the, the Republicans want him to be tougher. He's trying to salvage it. There's some, even as a Republican, there is something good about trying to, you know, at least hold out the olive branch. Although I think that's, I think it's becoming more and more impossible to do that. I think there's a window here. I think that if China does something, they're going to do it before a possible Republican um, president comes into office because it'll be, a, it'll be a different sheriff in town. And what that means, if you're a CEO of, of these large tech companies, you've got you to gotta get your, um, supply, your, your updated supply chain component into place very, very quickly. And as I said before, it does take years. It doesn't ta- it doesn't, it's not a light switch. So, Robin, well, TSM, TSMC, which is the world's largest chip maker, has already company. built one facility in Arizona and is already yep, building yes. the second one. So, again, yes. a lot of these companies are already preparing for a China-threatened future. And the fact that China is even making any of these noises just to me is so stupid. I mean, you built your entire economy on this foreign commerce and this manufacturing, and all you're doing is ruining it with all this Michigas. No, I agree. (laughs) Rob, 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 any closing comments? I mean, long term, so two things. The chip shortage, that started 2020. So we've we've had three years where companies have realized we have a problem and we can't just expect that things will pop back to the way they were. And in the longer term, you know, China is not going to be the most populous country in the world for long. They they have a demographic problem. The, you know, one one child per family policy was not not good in many ways, but also just bad as a way to have your economy sort of be sustaining. So, yeah, that's the way the world's tilting and everyone has got to sort of catch up. Well, and at the same time. Yeah. 
I am glad we have grownups at the State Department who are, we should at least be on civil terms with the People's Republic of China because it's a very large country, a huge chunk of the global economy. It's not going away anywhere and still would like to sell our stuff there too. Well, I think it's going to be a, a more interesting reveal as they pull all these damage, the damage, these um, uh, uh, parts they've retrieved after the, the uh, after the takedown of the balloon. And I think we're going to find. Yeah. I mean, I don't want we can ramble on this. into only like 50 feet of water or whatever it is. Off yeah. Yeah. No, the weather conditions are, really are, are perfect now for the retrieval. No, they're going to get they're going to get almost 100 percent of the whole thing. But yeah, the thing I would just close on this is that. It will be interesting to see what Western countries and possibly American countries were, were selling key component, components under the radar, certainly in violation of, of law to these to uh, countries like China and others, you know, um, and that's been going on for years, by the way, uh, because they didn't think they were going to get caught. So I think I think another shoe's yeah. going to drop on that. But I that remains to be seen here. So let's go into our next topic, which is the. Rob Pegarero, swamp topic of the week here. <laughs> it's pretty. Uh, well, actually, this is actually a very important topic. You've got the DOJ lawsuit against Google over its display ad business. That's going to be interesting. Um, there was that NTI report about mobile store apps that added some frivolity to the topic. There was some references to that um, to one of the most riveting State of the Union addresses I've ever seen in my lifetime. Ha ha ha. And, uh, you know, this is kind of grouped under this umbrella of, you know, Washington <laughs> versus the tech space, you know, and there is a bit of a confrontation adversarial thing going on. So, Rob, let me get you to, since this is, this is your baby, you, you yeah. know, you're, you're the swamp creature on the call. Let's. Uh... Swamp thing. So <laughs> let's start with the Department of Justice lawsuit filed like three weeks ago, alleging serious antitrust violations in the way Google runs its display ad business. If you've been following the story, it should be familiar because we've seen a lot of this movie before in the lawsuit brought by a group of states led by Texas. There are many of the same allegations. The DOJ isn't poking at some of the same issues as the Texas lawsuit. It's sort of a subset of it. Um, seems to be pretty convincing. The, the filing, the complaint unpacks how Google has sort of through acquisitions and then restrictive terms of business, even tweaking its own software and, and formats like the AMP mobile web page format, which apparently was just this big Trojan horse to get people further locked into their ad ecosystem, has made themselves into a situation where, I mean, there's a quote from a Google exec in the DOJ complaint saying it's as if Goldman owned the New York Stock Exchange, um, which, again, this is something states have been pursuing as well. I would say in general, if both U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland and Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton think you're guilty, you'd better lawyer up. <laughs> <laughs> so that I think is the most serious case. And I think it is a real problem. I mean, this, the fact that display ads, the, the whole ecosystem is so opaque, so much money doesn't get to publishers. It's a problem for people in my line of work because that's how the places we write for generally make their money still. Right. So yes, I'm following this with keen interest <laughs> and it didn't help, of course, the DOJ filed the lawsuit right, I think, the very same day my old shop, the Washington Post, was announcing another round of layoffs. Just yeah. great thematic timing. So step two, the NTIA mobile app store report, that was more like sort of a, if you hadn't been following that story for the last year, you'd find it convenient to have this 50 or so page distillation of what's going on. Uh, they did sort of call out some things where it is worse on Apple's side in, in the sense that 
if you want to ship a competing browser for iOS or iPadOS, you have to use WebKit, which I think is bad for the user. Number one, there's no feature competition. Number two, Apple is slower at patching security flaws than Google. Mm -hmm. When Chrome gets updated, you have that little button in the top right corner, update now, click it, 30 seconds later, you're done. When Apple patches a Safari bug, there's a full iOS update. Oh, it could be months. It could be months. It's a terrible user experience. Right. Um, So the remedies it advocates, I don't think are going to go anywhere, but in a sense, it doesn't matter because the European Union has already gone there with, uh, I think it's the Digital Markets Act regulation that is going into effect soon, which is going to require Apple to allow alternate payment mechanisms and apps. It will require them to have some sort of way for people to install apps outside the app store. It can be security measures. It's not a free for all. Um, and in certain ways, this is something that is, I don't want to say Apple's the victim and then blame the victim, but you spend years and years trying to get 30 cents out of every dollar spent on your platform, no matter what, and make new rules to get 30 cents out of more and more dollars. You know, you will attract the attention of regulators. What's, what's the saying? Pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. <laughs> this is, and Google then has followed Apple and done many of the same exploitative practices. So they can't be super surprised that they're in this position. Uh, and in a sense, even if the U.S. does nothing about it, you know, there, there were a couple of measures in the last session of Congress that would have mandated competing app stores, different payment, payment mechanisms. It doesn't matter so much if the EU, which is a giant market in its own right, says you have to have these these openness measures to do business here at all. Right. And for that matter, India, I believe the court there just ruled that Google has to allow people to choose, sorry, phone manufacturers to choose what parts of Android to ship on a phone. So it's another way to sort of wedge open the, the smartphone market, the mobile app market. Finally, yeah. State of the Union, AKA President's Question Hour, really did remind me of like, seeing debates in parliament in the UK. Before you go, before you hit the state of the union, I need to go get a, a bottle of uh, scotch. <laughs> <laughs> my guest. So it was interesting really, how really to tech policy. Like there was no mention at all of section 230 of the Communications no. Decency Act, which frankly I think is good because the more you try to find some way to reform it, to impose some sort of liability, how do you do it without disadvantaging every other platform. If you think the market just exists of Twitter and Facebook and YouTube, you know, it's really easy to propose laws that will stick it to those people in Silicon Valley, but it's everyone else. It's Reddit. It's all the people setting up their own Mastodon server instances on the, the federated social web. Anything you do is going to affect those people and they don't have the budget for lawyers that the people at Google and Twitter well, actually, Twitter doesn't have money for lawyers anymore since apparently they're not getting paid either. Um, so he did give a plug for privacy legislation, and it seemed pretty closely to track with the major provisions in the one privacy bill that actually went anywhere, the American Data Privacy and Protection Act, ADPPA, which got out of committee in the House and then stalled, which seems like a good enough bill, I guess. There's lots of ways you could say it could be better. Well, you know. We're going to pass something or nothing because if we pass nothing, then it's individual states and then it's Brussels passing laws that we may or may not get some benefit out of. Uh, but overall, yeah, it was the total number of tech policy provisions in the speech you could fit into with editing a 280 character tweet. Yes. Yeah, there was something about uh, 
tech giants should not be able to, you know, glean information from people on their platform to compete with them. Basically a jab at Amazon for doing, you know, all birds knockoffs after seeing how many people buy those shoes. Right, right. But but still, I think that was a very erudite uh, description of of all that, of that whole uh, Washington versus tech um, topic that I think uh, is really incredibly important. But Stuart, and, and I know you're going to jump all over this in a good way. Isn't part of the problem here is that every time Washington gets involved with something, whether it's a DOJ lawsuit or whether it's, you know, ruminations on how do we fix Section 230 without screwing everything up you know, at a high level, isn't the part of the problem is that the uh, the politicians on both sides of the aisle generally lack any type of robust tech, uh, technology experience. Now, there are some people in, in Congress that come from tech companies and they do have a tech orientation, but I, it just floors me, floors me sometimes that they just, you know, when you see some of those hearings that happened a few years ago with Zuckerberg, they're asking idiotic questions. Senator, we sell ads. <laughs> I didn't know that. You know? Ted Stevens. So is, but isn't that part of the problem, though, Stuart? Isn't that part of the problem? Well, I think the problem is actually even bigger than that. And I think the problem is twofold. One, the myriad issues that the legislature is being asked to tackle is insanity itself it's the favoritism it's the um data collection it's the app stores it i mean it's section 230 there are so many issues in each one of them with their own odd particular pros and cons to trying to fix it and potentially making the problem worse the second problem is that this is not just a u.s issue that it this is a global issue. Just look at what happened in the European Union when they clamped down on the data collection by making by forcing websites to ask you whether you wanted to accept cookies or not. And the way that that's been applied in the U.S. has been so confusing and scattershot it has rendered it completely useless. Most of the the default is go ahead and accept everything and the. And, and if you want to do anything other than that, you have to spend a half an hour clicking radio boxes. Right. So the, it's a complete and utter farce. And the fact that you have India making its own laws, Russia making its own laws, China making its own laws, the EU making its own laws, this, is, this, this all plays to big tech's benefit because right. they can exploit one country by holding it hostage to a certain extent against another country. You have... China forcing Apple to do certain things that they are able to do in the U.S. and vice versa. So these companies are, you know, legislatures and or governments around the world and these companies are playing these games of whack-a-mole where, where they get one thing, one country gets one thing passed and a company changes it in another place. And it's just this rigmarole. To a certain extent, I think the only way this gets solved is I won't say the UN necessarily. There has to be some sort of an independent commission that looks at some of this and comes up with at least a list of recommendations that are have some degree of uniformity that can be applied broadly. Um, and the the penalties for them also have to be global to a certain extent it it, it could be like um wilson's 14 points or you know it doesn't have to be that extensive but certain rights should be enumerated 
and global in order for individual constituencies to create sub-laws based upon a major set of principles. And some of those principles could simply be you cannot take somebody's data without their permission. That would be the first thing that I would put on the list, that all data belongs to the individual. Any company that wants your data has to pay you for it. Or something along, but there has to be some sort of universal rules of the road because otherwise it's going to be this patchwork quilt of laws that often conflict with one another that are that do more harm than good and aren't useful universally applied. Well, President Wilson, thank you for that um, for that, <laughs> that reference. And I'm going to fire all the African Americans from the federal government at the yes. same time. Yeah, well, or we'll show birth of the nation in the White House, but we'll put that aside for a second. But I, I, and I, we got, we're running out of time, and I want to get to our last topic. The only thing I would say, and I agree with you violently on this, um, Stuart, it would be wonderful to have the entire world come together and agree on a set of uh, set of policies. Kumbaya. But but you know that Gene Roddenberry, you know Star Trek ut- view of, the, of utopia. I would just be happy if the United States could get an attack together because you know, the United States some agreement between the U.S. and Europe, like Russia and China, yes, they're not get, down the whole Russia might be things, So let's not try to get too hung up over how they think. Yeah, so uh, I, I would lean in our ambition a little bit, but if I, I'd be very happy if we could get some consistency yeah. just in our country and we could. Speak Good luck with voice. that. Well, we'll see. Let us hit our last topic here, um, and we only have a few minutes to talk about this. It's been in the news for the last couple of months. People have discovered ChatGPT. Uh, Google just released their uh, competitor to ChatGPT. It's, it's in beta format called Bard, which is interesting. I think they spent three hundred million dollars. I think that's the number that they touted earlier in the week, if I'm not mistaken, and some comical things happened with people who um, apparently did try to um, uh, try out Bard. I've been playing with ChatGPT for the last month or so. I think it's amazing, you know, from a technology standpoint. It's still not perfect uh, in a variety of different ways. It raises a whole host of issues in terms of not so much plagiarism, but you know, I can't imagine it. I always look at it. If I had these tools in college, when I was back in Boston College, I mean, I would, I would have been a 4.0 student. You know, and uh, well, there's the flip side. Does that make life too easy? You know, that, you know, in the old days when we were in school, we actually had to go to a library, open up a physical book. You might not even be able to take the book out of the library and copy things. And you had, and the, you had the hard things was sitting down and, you know, writing a couple thousand words for a paper and doing the real research. So, you know, what do you, what's your thoughts, uh, Rob, on the category? Have you played with uh, ChatGPT? I assume you have. I have a little bit. I, I can definitely confirm that ChatGPT, if if you need to sort of, uh, it can do a strikingly realistic looking review of a glass of red wine. It's got all the descriptors <laughs> down. So real good for your cocktail party banner that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been following it. So one case I want to talk about, there's a really good site that covers Arlington County called Oral Now. And it's it's a small site. They're, they're not, they don't have a newsroom of 50 they're not backed by a giant company and so the the guy who runs it is is a real innovative type and he talks about what works and what doesn't and so he did a state of the site post in december where he said we found that chat gpt if you ask it to summarize existing stuff it will do that well so they're, they're using that to do this like daily digest that runs at the end of each day here are the big news items the sort of writing that a lot of humans would be like this is boring I, i'm not doing anything new Chat GPT doesn't have feelings. It doesn't resent being asked to do something beneath it. But for original writing, he said it doesn't work. It's not there yet. It's not worth it. Uh, on the contrary, we have the example of CNET, where the 
new corporate overlords, Red Ventures, apparently decided we can just have the software do the work. And what resulted, first of all, they didn't really disclose to obviously that some of these, the posts on the site were not written by any sort of carbon-based life form. Uh, number two, the AI wound up doing a lot of plagiarizing and just getting stuff wrong. And that is a, a problem for the reader of CNET. It's a problem for CNET itself. I feel really bad for the actual humans who've been there doing good work all along. Right. And now... Every story they write, people are going to be like, did Chat GPT write that? Yes. Really? Well, and to your point, uh, Rob, I think people are some people are misconstruing uh, the uh, the usefulness of Chat GPT because I think it can make an excellent supplement uh, tool, you know, to help you think about a few things and maybe come up with some content that might be compelling for you to rewrite or derive in some way. But it, it can become a replacement. You know, and if a publication goes out and says we're going to fire our entire um, writing staff and just use you know people are thinking about columns. it, there's enough jerk publishers in the world. Oh, I, I'm, hey, I'm not, I'm not putting it past. You know, I, you've told me a lot about some of the publishers you've worked with, and I wouldn't put it past them to save a buck. But the the, the, the real question is, is that is this really a healthy thing for people who are going to use it? in a useful manner and not use it just to save. when I say not save time, I don't mean that because saving time is not a bad thing, but to avoid work, the hard work of actually writing things. So Stuart, what's your take on that? Well, the hard work of writing, quite frankly, when I started out as a freelance writer, I was thrilled that a FedEx opened across the street from me because there was no internet for me to send stories to much less research them. So technology is always going to aid research remember people in the 19th century didn't have typewriters you know so you know papers had to be written long so i don't think that that's a big impact the, the scary thing to me is every time i hear about these chatbots all i springs into my head is how not opening the pod bay doors um and quite frankly and the other thing that comes to my mind is um the lumiere brothers when film first started in the 1890s, the technology was really raw and really shocked a lot of people. And there were a lot of predictions for what, you know, a train will run you over if it's coming over in a film. This is really early in the chatbot era and the processing technology that's involved in this. And same thing as in VR is still as amazing as it we uh, we perceive it to be still in its formative stages. Remember, you've got quantum computing that's around the block. Um, that will increase the it's computing power of. <laughs> well, again, it's around the block the way that talkies and color were for films throughout the 20th century. So the, this is a matter of technology simply becoming better and making these technologies a lot more, I don't say dangerous necessarily, but more difficult to cope with in the real world. Right. Um, and so I think it behooves the industry now to take steps to make sure that any potential problems down the road where you have much more powerful processing and much smarter systems, because you have all this machine learning, these systems are going to learn, Skynet, anyone, um, is to build in right now strictures and constrictions, uh, Asimov's three rules of robotics, some sort of digital watermarking that will make it apparent when something is real and something is not real. And that goes for deep fakes also. So I think these systems, I think, talking about all the all the legislating that needs to be done or regulation of technology, I think that now is the time to build in those guardrails to these fake 
or artificial AI technologies in order for them to not become even bigger problems when they potentially get much too powerful to actually handle. Right. And Rob, you know, there's already calls. I think that I, I read an article the other day. It was a Google, either a Google exec or next Google exec calling for before this thing gets out of the box, you know, it becomes really pervasive that there has to be government regulation. And, and honestly, you know, because I was interviewed about that exact topic about a week ago. And, you know, my view on that is that I just feel that um, anytime the government gets involved in regulation on something that's kind of, you know, um, and that is has the potential to really become a, a, a big thing, it suboptimizes the, the impact. I mean, the good thing about Section 230, just to use that as an example, is that it really, it really did unleash the potential of the internet from a productivity yep. standpoint. Now, you could argue that, we, that we, we didn't revisit it. We let it get out of control. That's a different discussion. But it was actually a brilliant move when you consider that. And I would like to see the thing. I would like to see AI take off in a variety of different ways that are helpful. But is there a lesson to be learned here? Or do we, you know, hey, we know this is going to become a big deal. Let's get good old Washington involved and start passing laws. So, Rob, I'll just let you close out, close out on this, which we're going to we're going to revisit this topic again. Later I think this, for later anyone later. who is looking to, you know, have an AI generate content or answer people's questions. No surprises. Don't pass something off as being the work of a human when, in fact, mm -hmm. co-generated it, you know, because, number one, if, if you want this thing to get better, you know, people need to know that they've been served up something that was generated by an automated process so that they're not just thinking, oh, well, somebody didn't sleep too well last night. So the copy is sloppy and has mistakes. Um, but lots of companies are just going to take that shortcut and not bother telling people or, or think, well, it's in our terms of service document, 32 paragraphs down. Why didn't you read it? Actually, that's a great use case for chat GPT. Summarize the important points of this terms of service document. Tell me what I actually need to worry about in the like the 6,000 word <laughs> iTunes user agreement where, where John Oliver famously said they could put my comp in there. People would be like, agree, agree, agree. <laughs> That's true. We're going to talk about this again because, you know, I, I think it's a fascinating, uh, uh, they're fascinating tools. I think we're in the early days. I think Google has a lot of work to do. We really didn't have enough, we don't have enough time now to talk about Google's, um, you know, uh, offer with Bard, but uh based on some of the, I haven't used it yet, but based on some of the articles I've read, it's uh, got a lot of work to do. But uh, anyway, guys, listen, listen, thanks for your time. I really, really do appreciate it uh, getting on the call today. For our viewing and listening audience, thanks for making the Smart Tech Tech podcast part of your day or commute. Please make sure that you hit the like and subscribe buttons, uh, subscribe buttons at the end of today's podcast or use these on-screen QR codes to connect with me. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Mark Vina Tech Guy. And until next time, have a great week. And thanks, guys. And go Eagles. I'll just say that because I'm going to put some money down on them. Thanks, guys. <laughs> mm -hmm.